0: Most of you will remember uh, Chris Okugwu from uh, Abuja, Nigeria. Uh, he's actually from Kaduna, but uh, he lives in Abuja. You have to say that right for Nigerians. Uh, they're not from. They're from where they were born. They're not from where they live. So, <laughs> um, uh, and uh, he's also here with Kamira, and uh, Chris and Kamira are due to be married soon. Uh, So we're very thankful for that. Uh, Kamira currently lives in Boston, but uh, she's from Liberia. Um, So if you get an opportunity to speak with them, uh, we'll be hanging out after worship this morning as well. But I've asked Chris to come and share with us a bit this morning, an update from his time with us back in May. Uh, So uh, very thankful they've come and have spent the weekend with us. And I'm sure we'll uh, be thankful for what we hear from him this
1: morning. So please, brother. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, again, it's such a delight and pleasure. And I'm truly grateful to be in your midst once more. Um, I've seen a lot of faces that uh, I haven't seen since last year. And it's just uh, it's such a joy. And I think um, I really just want to express to every one of you I won't take up too much of the time this morning. But I really want to just let everyone know that uh, we love you. Um, bringing warm salutations from the brethren in Abuja, um, though you haven't met them, but they are, they see you as family. Um, they've heard so much from me, from Nick, from other brethren that came to visit us, Josh, Jesse, um, and even a, a dear brother named John Miller. And I think I'll just get right into it and say it's, interesting as well as humbling to see brethren from other nations to come, be in our midst, to share what we ourselves are going through and experiencing there, to see firsthand what God has done and is doing amongst us, to even see our people. And much of what you get to see on the news, they got to see firsthand. and. It has been humbling for us because a lot of what we are used to seeing concerning Christianity outside of Nigeria is not anything to uh, write home or to be happy about. But we've been able to see Christians come in our midst and Christians who love Christ. It's not um, lip service that they're paying to God. It's not, you know formalism of just religion. But to see people who would come and love brothers and sisters in Christ and desire to see us grow in the faith, desire the best for our nation and our people, it's been very humbling to see. I don't think Nigerians themselves have the same heart towards um, other Nigerians as we saw in the short time that um, brethren from Ephesus Church came to spend and be with us in our midst. So. I really just want to say that we are truly grateful for your love, for your kindness, for your faith in Christ, and the hope that you have in him, and how you have expressed this love to us, even from a distance. We thank you for your prayers, we thank you for your support, we thank you for every time that you have gone on your knees in prayer to the Lord and pled with him on our behalf. It is not in vain, and this I can assure you, it is not in vain. And so um, I think I'll just quickly read something here to you which has been on our heart uh, for the past few months. Um, Whenever we discuss and talk about the Brethren in Ephesus Church, we're always um, considering this in the light of all that Paul um, wrote to the Christians, the brethren, in Thessalonica. So if I would ask that we would just read that together and. I will just say a few things and share with you some more. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, from verse 1. And Paul writes, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering and the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Um, Like I said, our nation is really seen as a great nation in Africa. And I think um, many of Nigerians take pride in our nation and in the people of our nation. We have a rich heritage, as I shared some of that with you last year. Currently, as some of you and maybe many of you will know, we've been in the news. Um, Last year, you were aware of uh, the girls that were kidnapped, the 200 girls that were abducted who still have not been found. Um, You're aware of the insurgency that we are experiencing with this terrorist group, this Islamic group, Boko Haram. You're aware of the fact that they haven't been, at least their activities, haven't been curbed in any form or fashion. And so the nation is not so much in turmoil as it is in confusion, um, as it is in hopelessness, as it is in um, dire desperation. Aside from, of course, the economic crisis that we go through and are experiencing on an ongoing basis, For the most part, Nigerians are really living in a state of bleak hope. And how people are handling this is by giving themselves some false assurances of hope, which isn't true hope. They are lying to themselves, thinking that uh, things will get better. One of the common phrases you find on the lips of Nigerians is, it is well. But we as Christians, we know that it is only well if you are in Christ, if your hope is in Christ, if Christ is your hope and aside from which there is no hope we live in a hopeless world and I know you see that even here in America Um, we have people crying out for help in many ways in Nigeria Um, decrying of course the bloodshed on one side but when you come to them with the true hope of the faith that we have and that's all that we have to offer as Christians, they will decry and denounce Christ. Um, Nigerians consider themselves very religious people, but they're not. And so it's in the midst of this kind of disarray that we have to live as Christians. Um, We have felt the pain of people suffering every day. We see that. I mean, with the, with the explosions, the bombs that have gone off, even between May and now that I came here, people are just, they don't know what to do. They're lost. Aside from being spiritually lost, they're lost in the sense of where can we, what can, what, where can we actually um, find any kind of reassurances? Is it in our government? Is it in the leaders who are... Um, In positions of power and authority. Because when you look at them, what you see is rampant corruption. You see people who don't care for the people. In positions of providing care to the people. And so everyone just feels very, very much like God has abandoned them. However, they have erected an idol for themselves as though it were God, and that is what they are placing their hope in. So we're so glad for, and I say this maybe without explaining why, but we're so glad for the state of things, actually, because it proves the fact that we are fallen. It proves the fact that no one can help themselves. We cannot trust in other men to be the guiding light, per se to be the ones who would bring um, true joy, to be the ones who would help us out of the state of decay that we are in. And it's proving that, that truth every day, as much as people want to deny that. So we're actually so thankful to God that in his sovereign good might, that he is subjecting us to this kind of state and condition. I do pray, as Brother Nick prayed, that the people of Nigeria would come to know Jesus Christ, would come to know um, the communion that, and fellowship that we have in Christ. And they would come to hear the word of God being heralded, the truth, not false teachings, because that's what's prevalent in Nigeria. And for that to happen, sometimes I believe people need to be brought to their knees. Um, repentance doesn't come by merely um, placing false promises and false comforts before people. It is well is not for the wicked. It is well is for the righteous. And so the Lord says, tell the righteous it is well with him. So our prayer and our hope is really that God will continue to show us mercy and that mercy will be received in the shower of truth, both heralded, proclaimed, and published in our country and lived out by the few Christians that we do um, have in our midst. So I really do want to thank you all so much for again your kindness, your love, your concern, your compassion towards us. And please keep on praying. We pray for you and your nation. We know the things that you guys all experience over here, um, how your religious freedom, is being stifled and suppressed. How you have a, you know, um, you have um, people in government over here who are pushing for things that are abominable in the sight of God. Immoral acts are being labeled as good. Evil is being called good, right before your eyes. And even the law is being twisted. A law that would be good in terms of punishing the offender and rewarding the one who walks in righteousness, now is being twisted in such a fashion that if you do stand up and walk uprightly in white righteousness here, you will be um, under the condemnation of your own law. Now it's really sad that things are like this, and we see it, and we pray for you. We pray for all the Christians abroad that God will continue to uphold you in his righteousness, grant you boldness, strength, courage in Christ, To keep on standing for the truth. Um, We know it's not easy. However, we know that we do have a reward in Christ. And seeing him magnified, seeing him honored, even at our expense, is truly a joy. And so I thank you once again for having us in our midst. Um, I'd love to speak to every one of you before I leave. Sadly, I'll only be here till tomorrow. But um, I love you all, and I do desire to be in your midst, if God so wills it, even once again. Thank you.
0: Well, we've said the brothers and sisters who meet together in Abuja, our our, uh, Ephesus Church uh, satellite campus in Nigeria, they actually... uh, they listen to the sermons uh, that we uh, have here uh, the week after we have them here. So they're uh, following along through uh, the same uh, series that we're going through. I think that started back with Ordinary, maybe, and and uh, Jonah, and now into Galatians. So they're following along with us. Uh, so um, I get to speak with them weekly and hear what they're learning and how they're growing as well. Um, their insights and uh, all of their corrections and the things that I've preached wrongly. Uh, There's plenty of those. So um, it's very, very encouraging to uh, have them uh, walking with us uh, through the scriptures as well. And um, I foresee that very soon uh, that things will be established there as an actual uh, church plant and uh, moving forward with that, that they can uh, soon... Be formally established. Uh, the elders from Sovereign Grace Bible Church in Lagos are going to be traveling there very soon, right? Next February, okay. And uh, start to meet with them and talk to them about uh, the future of a church plant there in Abuja. So, very exciting things coming along. So, make sure you spend some time, get to meet Kamira as well, and uh, spend some time speaking with Chris uh, before you leave today. Thank you for sharing, brother. Well let's um, <coughs> let's spend the remainder of our time getting uh, back into our discussion on Christ and culture. Um, I wanted to do a quick uh, review of a few things we've already discussed, and then uh, this morning. We're, uh, we're still kind of laying some foundational work. We've not gotten to yet where we've said um, this is. We've laid out several kinds of responses to culture for Christians. We've not really narrowed our focus yet to say uh, which one uh, maybe the Bible uh, calls us to. Uh, so we're going to review those briefly um, and then we'll get into some more biblical principles this morning. So First, just uh, for review, what are the three types of culture that we have already uh, discussed? High culture, folk culture, and pop culture, right? Those are the, the three kinds, and we, we talked about the distinctives of each one of those. And, um, and then we, we discussed how Christians respond to culture. We outlined four different ways. What are the four different ways that Christians generally respond to culture? Okay, one is to just fully embrace. Don't ask any questions. Uh, we, just, uh, we just immerse ourselves in the culture around us. We adopt it completely. Okay, that's one. What's el- what else? Okay, reject it completely. It's the world. It's evil. We don't, we don't assess any of it. We just have nothing to do with it. We isolate ourselves from it. Good, what else? Okay, Change it, transform it. I live in this world; it's all around me. Maybe God is calling me to uh, to completely change it. Um, that's the that's the goal of the Christian to make it all to make all things new, right? And what's the fourth one? Okay, good. To live to live faithfully within the culture, to live as God calls us to, to assess uh, the things around us, uh, recognizing that it's uh, it's neutral. Uh, the culture is, uh, in many ways, neutral. We need to assess, is it good, is it bad, is it usable, these kinds of things, uh, to live faithfully within it. All right, good. So, uh, last week we talked about presuppositions and worldviews. So, what is a presupposition? Good, excellent. So, we all live with presuppositions. Now, they come, uh, they come some of them the same, whether we admit it or not, um, others are dependent upon our environment, our culture, uh, but there are basic assumptions uh, that we work from, um, and we don't necessarily work them out all of the time. Um, what is the fundamental Christian presupposition? God is, exactly, that God is, and we work everything out from there, right? The Bible doesn't begin by, um, by proving God's existence. The Bible begins with the presupposition of God. In the beginning, God. Um, Paul says this in Romans 1. Um, All men everywhere know God profoundly. Uh, They simply suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. And they work out of that, uh, that framework. So all of the sin of mankind works out of this suppression of the truth of God and his law written upon the hearts of man. Okay, and so from presuppositions, we talked about worldviews. What is a worldview? Okay, good. Our view of the world. Exactly. That's a good way to think about that, right? Yeah, yeah. So all my... Yeah, go ahead, Russ. Good. Yeah, how do I use these things that I've assumed about how the world is ordered and how life is to be lived, and work that out now in all of life, in the culture that I live and dwell in. Um, and so we're all going to have worldviews that are slightly different from one another because we, um, we have different experiences, we have different um, upbringings, we have different um, things that have influenced the way that we've thought about uh, certain ideas. Um, However, what we said last time is that when it comes to the Christian faith, on some level, there is a singular Christian worldview. Now, there are things that we will differ on, that we have the liberty to differ on, Um, but on some level, we have to be able to say that there is a singular worldview for Christianity. And if we go outside of that, then we're talking about something other than Christianity. Um, and we will get to that in time. So we, we spent time last week talking about philosophy, the history of ideas, and how all of those ideas in many ways have culminated to um, uh, to sort of be dispersed into various cultures throughout the world over time and how a lot of ideas are just kind of old things being recycled and called something new and, uh, and that we as Christians live in this and have to interact with it in some way unless we're going to take the view that says we simply isolate and reject And surely by now you've realized, I think that's completely anti-biblical, this idea that we build a wall around ourselves and keep away. Um, There's a lot that doesn't happen (laughs) that the Bible calls us to when we do that. Um, So uh, I want to look this morning at some scripture and to look at various, uh, quite a few different passages in terms of... Helping us to build an understanding of how do we engage uh, the culture around us. So we're going to have a bunch of verses. I'll probably just ask a few of you to look there for us and read it out loud um, so that we can, can get through them uh, rather quickly. So um, we'll start up here with Felicia, 1 Corinthians ten twenty six. 26. Uh, Gary, can you read um, Colossians 1, 16 and 17? Um are you are you guys sharing? Okay. Miss Debbie, um Ephesians one twenty through 22. Katie, you have yours? Okay. You can do Acts 17:24 through 28. All right. So the first thing we're going to look at is what is God's relationship with his creation? How does God relate to culture in essence? All right, that's 1 Corinthians ten twenty six. It's alluding to an Old Testament scripture as well. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Okay, so uh, what very quickly can we discern about God's relationship to the world? It all what? It all belongs to him, right? Okay, good. Gary, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Excellent, okay, and in that... Uh, passage Colossians 1, who specifically is being referenced? Christ, yeah, good. So Christ, uh, the preeminent one. By him all things were created, um, and he goes through things created, things invisible, dominions, rulers, authorities. And all of it is from him and for him and through him, right? So we, again, we get this idea of his preeminence, but specifically here dealing with the second person of the Trinity, who is Christ. Good, Ephesians 1, 20 through 22. Okay, thank you. So again, who is being spoken of here? Christ, right? Okay, and what does Paul say about Christ in this passage? Ephesians 1, 20 through 22. Okay, good. So what is the significance of his sitting at the right hand of the Father? What does that mean? What is... Okay, good. He's been given all authority. And he, Jesus himself, said that, right, in the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me. It's mine. I am the king. This is my, uh, the establishment and the reign of my kingdom." All authority has been given to me, and then he commands his uh, disciples from there. So, uh, we have uh, his rule, and authority, and power, and dominion um, over all things, is what Paul is getting to in Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1. All right, Acts 17, 24 through 28. Great, thank you. So, what uh, Paul is doing here, he is in the Areopagus. He has uh, ventured into uh, the realm of the philosophers of the day, all of the sophists, those who would uh, speak. They'd give speeches, eloquent speeches, and people would uh, grade them basically on how well they spoke. And They had all these ideas, and they had idols everywhere. They wanted to make sure they were worshiping every god they could think of, so they didn't leave one out. They even had a halter that was to the unknown. God, and so Paul picks up on that, and he comes and he says, "I'm here to proclaim to you uh, who this unknown God is." And then he preaches the gospel to them because he's saying, um, "This is the one true God." So, what does he say about God in this um, in this preaching of his with regard to uh, how God is relating to his creation? What does he do in creation? It's Acts 17, 24 through 28, if you want to look at it. Okay, so he, uh, Paul sort of does this a lot. He kind of layers how he's saying, so just in case he leaves something out, he always throws in and everything else at the end of it. So he gives us life, he gives us breath, he gives us everything. So he created us and he created everything around us. Good, what else? Excellent. Good. So um, this uh, is spoken of in a lot of ways. Uh, Solomon picks this up in Ecclesiastes as well. But um, essentially the idea that man is created to worship. And that's why we can go in the middle of uh, a place where people have no interaction with the world outside of them. And they will be worshiping something. The moon, the stars, the trees, whatever. And calling it God. God. Because they inherently know within them that they are created to worship. Um, And so Paul picks up on that. Why? Because it's God's law written on our hearts. Because of general revelation, God has revealed himself to us generally. Uh, We need the special revelation of Christ to know truly uh, who that God is. Um, But uh, it's enough, Paul says in Romans, to condemn every man, woman, and child everywhere through general revelation. Because God has clearly made known that he exists. Russ? Good. So uh, in context, you think of Paul kind of standing here and all around him are these statues like carved out of wood and stone and all this. And he's saying, the one true God is not made with human hands. It's not something you, uh, you know, as the prophet said, you don't cut a log in half and make a God out of one side and burn the other in the fire. Um, The one true God is not made by human hands. Um, Good, what else? Uh, Paul says in Romans 11, For from him, through him, and to him are all things. So glory be to him forever and ever. Uh, God's not served by human hands. So nothing, uh, I'm not doing anything that God needs, right? I'm not here to fulfill any need on God's part. It all belongs to him. Um, now, can I serve God? Yes. What I'm saying, though, I'm serving on behalf of God as an ambassador of Christ, not that I'm um, doing some uh, service that he is in need of. God is not in need of anything. Good. What else? Good. Excellent. We um, A while back, we dealt with this when we dealt with the doctrine of God um, way... Uh, probably most helpful to me uh, Jonathan Edwards talked about this that if for one second God stopped holding all things together everything would completely disintegrate into nothing that every the essence of all things that exist are held together by God by the power of his word at all times in all places forever and ever and if for even a second he closes his eyes or falls asleep, if you will, it all goes to nothing. Um, and that's a very important uh, reality if we're going to understand how big and powerful God is. Yeah, he turns to their own. Uh, he turns to their own poets, um, and he says, uh, "Even as some of your own poets said, we are indeed His offspring." Um, we are dependent upon him. Yeah. Yeah, the one true God. Um, yeah, he, he draws out man's independ, uh, dependence upon God and man's desire for his own autonomous independence. And he's saying, you live where you live because God wants you to live there. <laughs> You are where you are. You're in the situation you're in. Uh, the kings and the rulers and uh, the, the authorities are where they are because God wants them to be there. He purposes all of this. Um, and so in him you live and move and have your being. Okay, good. So this is God's relationship uh, with creation. These are only very few passages. There are many more we could look at. Um, but let's think now about man's purpose. What is man's purpose? Who knows the, uh, the catechism answer to that question? What is the purpose of man, the chief end of man? Good, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, our primary text for that would be 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. 31. Um, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is our primary emphasis, our primary purpose as people, all mankind, um, and particularly Christians. But this is what God calls us to. And uh, so what does that look like? What does that mean? In terms of defining our purpose, it's to glorify and enjoy God. But what does that tangibly look like? Okay, good. Finding all of our hope, our satisfaction, our joy, all of our longings in life are centered on God alone. That I'm not seeking, seeking out these things in other places. They're all being centered on uh, the, the person of God in Jesus Christ, right? So I'm, I'm hoping in him above all else. Good. Good, that I'm, I'm living, again, dependent on him, sacrificing myself, Uh, for his purposes Um, another way maybe jesus says it is if you love me what yeah you will keep my commandments if you love me if you say you love me you will do what i ask you to do Um, just as any parent would say to their child if you love me you're going to obey Uh, is he saying perfect obedience Um, no because he knows our nature however is that what he calls us to strive for be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect. So absolutely. Uh, how else do we glorify God? Excellent. Um uh, Colossians uh, the apostle Paul says um that we are to do our work not unto man but unto God. Uh, that all that I undertake in my hands I'm doing unto the Lord and not unto man. Um Ephesians 4, he talks about, um, uh, we looked at this yesterday morning in our family devotions, is that we do all things in life without grumbling or complaining. Now, it's really easy as a Christian to say, I'm here to glorify God. But then when we get to the specifics of what that looks like, we all of a sudden don't want to talk about it. (laughs) No grumbling and complaining. (laughs) Uh, It gets a little more difficult when we get to the details of what that is. Um, But absolutely, all of life that I'm going to live onto the Lord without grumbling and complaining and setting my heart on wanting to glorify him, to honor him, to find my joy centered on him, Uh, obeying him as well. Uh, What about uh, the second table of the law? How does Jesus uh, summarize all of that? Good, to love your neighbor um, as you love yourself, right? So, um, loving my neighbor is glorifying God. I don't take it as far as Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, uh, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor might. I understand what he's saying there, but I think, um, in essence, he's kind of communicating something along the lines of uh, that God doesn't desire them in any way, uh, which I don't think is true. God calls us to those. He has created us for those. Paul, at the end of Ephesians 2, brings this out that we are, uh, in his language, that we were created for good works. We were called to those good works uh, that the purposes of God would be fulfilled. Um, But I I do understand, in essence, what he's saying is that um, because God is not served by human hands... Um, uh, We're not doing it to bring God something that he doesn't already have or to add to him. But our neighbor is very much in need of our serving hand. And therefore, we love them by doing so. Um, Good. And then, I think in the end, just trusting the Lord in all circumstances. Giving thanks to him in all circumstances. All of these are part of glorifying him. Go ahead, Sam. Good. Good. That's really at the heart of what Paul is dealing with in Galatians, right? This idea that there are certain things that God has called us to do. And if we do them wrongly, in essence, if we're doing them in order to earn our place with God, then he detests them, he rejects them. But we can do the very same thing in a way that pleases God because it's out of a heart of obedience. Not because we've done it to earn his favor or to find our justification in our works, uh, but rather, we've done it uh, because he's called us to it in obedience and love for him. All right, so God's relationship to creation, he's sovereign over it, he's created it, it all belongs to him. He is the king, the ruler, uh, he has all dominion and authority, has placed all people in the places they are for the purposes that he has designed them to fulfill. Man's purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever through uh, obeying him, through uh, loving our neighbor, through trusting him, through giving thanks to him, uh, through living uh, all of our life uh, centered on finding joy and trust and, and hope in him alone and uh, to do uh, that in every aspect of our lives. Um, So we have God and man and how we're starting to look at this world around us, but uh, we have to ask some questions then about this world around us. Given what we've said already, can we say that culture is sort of this unqualified evil? Is it? Is the culture an unqualified evil? I see a lot of... Nose and blank stares. <laughs> let's go ahead. Okay, let's uh, let's look at um, let's look at the text and see what we can find. Um, Sam, go to 1 Corinthians nine twenty through twenty three. Jesse, are you sharing or you have your own? Okay, Romans thirteen three and four. Sam, when you get there, go ahead. First Corinthians 9, 20 through 23. Okay. So if I were to ask Paul, is culture an unqualified evil? Based on what he's saying here that he himself has done, how would he respond? He'd say, no, not a chance. What is he doing, though? I, he, is, he is what we would say, he's contextualizing himself, his own life, to those he's seeking to encounter. But in order to do that, he has to ask some specific questions, right? How can he go into a situation and identify with a people without compromising who God calls him to be and what God calls him to do? He has to ask some specific questions, right? Um, if I do this, is it going to, uh, is it going to any, in any way compromise... Um, what God has called me to be and do as a Christian? Or is it a matter that is neutral, uh, that I can um, engage in, in a way that's not going to dishonor the Lord, but is going to actually give me an advantage with the people I'm seeking to, I'm endeavoring to, um, to encounter? And there's all kinds of ways that plays out. Those are the questions that missionaries have to ask regularly. Um, if we just are naively going to go into a situation and say what we do here must be replicated in, uh, in toto with uh, somewhere else um, in the middle of, uh, we'll hear at the end of February about Papua New Guinea, um, it doesn't work. We can't bring what we do here into the, uh, the people who live in the trees in Papua New Guinea and say you have to do it this way. Uh, We have to be able to ask questions um, and contextualize. Now, in terms of certain aspects, they will be the same because they're unalterable. But there are things that we have to look at and say are simply influenced by cultural expression. Russ, did you have your? Of course, yeah. Sure. If we were a church in the city, we would look a lot different. We should look a lot different. If we don't, then we don't, we don't care so much about our neighbors, right? We're just appealing to a certain group of people uh, that we're comfortable with instead of looking around us and saying, who are our neighbors and, um, and how, how, in what ways uh, can we reflect uh, that they are a part of the body of Christ? Now, again, that doesn't mean we compromise anything of truth. And we'll get into this as we talk about uh, music and worship and... All of those sorts of things. There's certain things that are stable, unalterable. Um, but there are things uh, that are indifferent. Things indifferent. Um, you know, anything... We, we, we just take things for granted, right? A church meets in a... What? In a building. Um, that's not so much the case in a lot of parts of the world. Can a church meet under a tree and still be a church? Absolutely. Um, uh, we record our sermons and put them on the internet. Is that is that a necessity? Is that an essential? No. We have uh, music with a piano and guitar and uh, a bass guitar. And, you know, we have, uh, we have certain instrumentality that goes with our music. Is that a necessity? Is that something we have to do? Or is that the right arrangement of instruments? Uh, no. There's, so there's things that we can ask questions about. Um, do we have to dress a certain way? Um, all of these communicate something of the culture, and we have to be very, um, we have to be very uh, uh, careful to ask the right questions and to consider uh, what the things we do communicate. And that's exactly what Paul was doing, as he went into every new culture he went into, he was asking those questions. Um, if I used a lot of the illustrations, for example, I used to preach a sermon. Uh, here in the United States, and I went to Nigeria and used those illustrations when I preached there, uh, they would just look at me and scratch their heads because they don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, It doesn't, because they don't have the cultural framework, right? It's different. And likewise, if Chris were to come and use a lot of Nigerian references, um, you wouldn't know, you know. I I can go to Nigeria and mention the name Buhari and everyone knows who I'm talking about. Who here knows who Buhari is? Exactly. He is, just so you know, uh, one of the two major presidential candidates for their c- upcoming election. Um, so, you see, there's a contextual element here. Paul himself, we saw contextualizing in First uh, in, uh, Corinthians 17, or excuse me, Acts 17 there, when he's saying, your own poets say this. He's turning to what they are familiar with, just as I would use a reference from a song or a television show or a movie in those in those regards. Okay, I think, uh, well, we are past time. I'm sorry about that. So we'll, um, we'll close it down there and we will pick up uh, from that point uh, as we meet next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time that we have uh, to meet together, to learn, to study, to grow to be challenged and shaped and molded and to be made more into the image of your dear son and our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you continue to help us be more thoughtful as Christians in this world and how we interact with one another and how we interact with the culture around us. May it be all to your glory. We pray, Lord, that you help us now to fix our hearts on you and our worship, that you be glorified in all that we set out to do and uh, that we would be full of joy and hope and satisfaction and peace in Christ alone. We ask all this in his name. Amen.